Who is God? We are in a wonderful series on the attributes of our great God. This is number 16. Our God is omniscient. The story is told of a cowboy riding along. He came upon an Indian lying flat on the ground, ear pressed to the earth. The Indian said, wait, wagon, two miles off, drawn by two horses, one black, other gray, four people on board, man in red flannel shirt, his wife, two kids. As you might imagine, the cowboy was very impressed. He said, that's amazing. You can tell all that by just listening to the dirt? The Indian said, no, they ran over me 30 minutes ago. Go after them. What kind of things does God know? Well, hopefully God doesn't have to run over us for us to realize how wise God is. Folks, God is the original know-it-all, even more than Dr. Fauci. <laughs> and it's actually true about God. He knows it all. Our God is an omniscient God. The word omniscient comes from two words, omni, the Latin word for all, and then, of course, as you can see, the word science, which means knowing. And so then omniscience means God is all-knowing. If you desire today to follow the science, then look no further, because God is the God of all science. God knows all things. He knows the past perfectly, the present accurately, and hallelujah, he knows the future clearly. And amazingly, he knows it all at the same time. What a mighty God we serve. And so today I look forward to do some bragging, some legitimate, well-deserved bragging on our all-wise Savior. Would you join me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this opportunity to be here. I ask God that you would just uh, meet with us. Lord, I so enjoyed spending the time in your word this week. I pray the Lord you will just help me to say everything that should be said. And Lord, if there's anything that needs not to be said, Lord, I pray you just prompt me. And Lord, all of us together would listen even with the ears of our spirit. The Lord, we'll hear things that you're speaking, whether said by this voice or not. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God is omniscient. Now, there's only one reliable source to learn about God. You don't have to climb some mountain in Tibet and interview a little follically challenged man in a robe. No, thank God, we have in our hands today the reliable source document for everything we know about God. In fact, it was written down, and it's been around for about 4,000 years, written Never been disproved. Thank God that is the scripture, the word of God. Now let's define omniscience accurately. It is that God is all-knowing, but actually we need to remind ourselves it's even a little more uh, different than that. And that is that God wills all he needs to know, all that he wants to know, or all that he wills to know. For example, let me give you an explanation. You may remember during the life of Christ, during our Savior's earthly ministry, his inquisitive disciples came and said, could you maybe give us a little insight into when the second coming might be? Do you remember what Jesus' words were? And this has been uh, a source of question for many. Jesus said, nobody knows the day or hour. We got that. Sounds good. We're not going to put a date on it. But then listen to the next part. Nobody knows the day or hour, not even the Son of Man. What? Not even God knows when the second coming is? Well, here is why the definition I just gave you is important. If God is all-knowing, 
some skeptic would say, well then how did God not know when the second coming is? The real answer to that is God chose, Jesus, who is God, chose that in his incarnation, that is in his enfleshment, he willingly put a restriction on his ability to know. For example, we know in Luke chapter 2, it says that Jesus grew physically. Okay, we get that. But it also says he grew in wisdom. Really? Yes, he grew in wisdom. Well, if he's God, how can he grow in wisdom? Well, he is God. But he willingly put a restriction in his human body. And so we understand this morning that God is omniscient all the time he wills to be. Let's get some explanations further from scripture. First Samuel chapter two, if you would please. In first Samuel chapter two, we find dear praying Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel, commending God as the great prayer answering deity. In so doing, notice her words in verse three of chapter two. The Lord is a God of knowledge. <laughs> Ask your statue what to do about things. Oh, that's not going to help. No, God is a God of knowledge. By him, actions are weighed. God is a God of knowledge, a better browser than Google, Bing, and Yahoo altogether. Our God is the ultimate one who searches out. Then in 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, the beloved apostle, John knew how important it was to have the assurance of your salvation. And I will tell you this morning, if you are not sure of your salvation, you are not going to be very effective for the Lord. Because if you go out every day kind of wondering, you're not going to be thinking about others. You're going to be consumed with yourself. And that's why John said, you've got to know that you're okay with God. And so in these verses, he was explaining to his brothers and sisters in the Lord, verse 20 of chapter 3, he said, if your heart condemn us, be careful. Nothing wrong with having legitimate guilt and conviction. That's a good thing. But if your heart condemns you wrongly, thinking maybe you're not going to heaven. He said, know this, and here's where we see God's omniscience. God is greater than your heart. He knows all things. Now, am I a saved person? Yes, thank God I am saved. But let's imagine that down the line here, I develop Alzheimer's, and there comes a time when you ask me, are you saved? Are you a born-again Christian? I don't know. I'm glad that my salvation doesn't depend on the fact of my knowing. It says even though my heart might condemn me and I might get rattled and get all worried, God says here that he is greater than our false accusations. He knows all things. Folks, we don't have to live in doubt. Because if the God who knows everything says, if you're born again, you're going to heaven. If your name is in the Lamb's book of life, hallelujah, you're going to heaven. You don't have to fear hell. Now, we might fear uh, some uh, repercussions from the Lord, maybe some discipline. And maybe that's a good healthy fear. But we never have to fear that someday I'll stand before the Lord and I'm going to be worried about going to hell. No, God says, don't let that happen because God who knows everything has proclaimed you as righteous before him. And then King David in Psalm 147. Psalm 147 is the last five Psalms that are just so full of praise. Not all of the Psalms are praise, most of them, but the last five are amazing ones. Often sung when they would go up to the tabernacle or the temple. Here in Psalm 147, David's giving all kinds of reasons why we ought to praise God. And one of the reasons he says in verse 5, and he commends the omniscience of God. Great is our Lord and of great power. Yes, he's omnipotent. His understanding is infinite. Hallelujah. God knows everything. God understands everything going on. Now, we don't always understand everything. 
You might have heard someone say recently something like, boy, I don't know what this world is coming to. In fact, you might have even said that. I don't even know what this world is coming to. And that would pretty much be accurate. It's kind of hard to figure out. I, I went into the store the other day at some place I was, and they had a women's bathroom, but they didn't have a men's bathroom. They just had a little sign there, and it's like, this is for everybody. I thought, good night, do I go in there or not? And uh, now I don't know how things are working anymore, but I'll tell you one thing. I know somebody who does know what's happening, and that is our God. He knows everything. Now let's turn to the New Testament for a moment. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. Here, if Paul is the human author of Hebrews, Paul is saying there's a lot of reasons why we ought to obey God. And I would agree with that. You'd say amen to that, right? There's a lot of reasons why we ought to obey God. But notice one of the reasons, one of the clear reasons we ought to obey God. Verse 13, Hebrews chapter 4. Neither is there any creature, that just means person, human. It's not talking about uh, the creature from the black lagoon. Any human, any person that is not manifest in the sight. Can't hide from God. All things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Yes, there's one big reason why all of us ought to do right, and that is because that God knows everything. Now, these reminders just barely scratch the surface. We've seen some explanations of omniscience. Now let's understand some implications of what that actually means. Revelations chapter 1. The apostle John was given a vision of this uh, this glorified Christ. There in Revelation chapter 1, it says he's bright and shining and all kinds of things. One of the things it says was that his eyes were like a flame of fire. The idea there is is like a laser. Boy, I'm telling you what, he is seeing everything with pinpoint accuracy. And if you have any brains at all, you'll say, if Jesus is looking at everything I'm doing with pinpoint accuracy, I think I'm going to affect my change. Then in John chapter 1, Jesus approached a man who was soon going to be his disciple. We know him as Nathaniel in the Bible. John chapter 1 and verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him. He sees him coming down the road. And he said of him, he said, everybody, look at this man of integrity. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Nathaniel steps back and says, whoa, you know me? I mean, wow, you're saying this about me? Wow, I didn't even know I knew you. Jesus answered him and said this, before Philip called you, thank God for Philip, man, that guy was a soul winner. Philip was always around telling folks about the Lord. Before Philip called you, now listen to this. When you were under a fig tree, I saw you. What? How could Jesus see Nathaniel under a fig tree when he wasn't under the fig tree with Nathaniel? Well, here we find God allowing himself in his, in his uh, incarnate body to have a moment of seeing his omniscience. He greeted Nathanael and said, I saw you under the fig tree. And I might remind you, he sees you under the fig tree. He sees me there. Uh, he knows exactly what I'm doing. And then let's turn to John chapter 19. In John 19, and we find the last minutes of Jesus' earthly life. This was a monumental moment, crisis of history. Jesus on the cross, now listen, he is on the cross. Everything that could be happening was happening. There was screaming. There was yelling. There was rioting. There was violence. There was the earth shaking. There, I mean, you name it, it was going on. And yet Jesus had the presence of moment, the presence of mind, the, the presence of spirit. While he's hanging on the cross, verse nine. Verse 28, chapter 19, John. After this, Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished, omniscient God 
knew that all of Scripture was now fulfilled. That's a whole lot of fulfilling. There are around 200, give or take, depending on how you talk about his life, his birth, his uh, death, his resurrection, about 200 or so prophecies in the Old Testament about Christ. Everyone that needed to be fulfilled so that this could be an accurate appraisal, if, if this is really the Messiah, Jesus said, done. That's why he said, it is finished. To Telestai, masterpiece, it's done, all done. How did he know that? Because he is omniscient. He knew that every dot, every I was dotted, every T was crossed. He knew it was absolutely done. And then turn with me, if you would, please, to Psalm 139. We're going to stick a little bit of time here this morning in Psalm 139. Last week, we looked at this amazing psalm. The word psalm means song. This was King David's blockbuster hit in 1000 B.C. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, O Lord, thou hast searched me. The word means pierced me through. God looked right through me. God sees everything. Now that can either be thrilling or threatening, depending on our viewpoint. You have known me. David lays out this great doctrine plainly. God has perfect knowledge of each one of us. Our actions, our reactions, our outward actions, seen by most, but he even knows our inward world, all laid bare before him. Now, we don't always know what people are thinking, but God does. I don't understand always what uh, people are thinking. and We don't always know what's happening here. Oh, here's, did I bring my little paper up? Yes, I threw it away. This is good, you're gonna like this. You know, I know sometimes us men, we have a hard time uh, understanding uh, women. And uh, that's, uh, I think, a well-known thing. And this, uh, get to the right place here. Um, <laughs> I'll find it here. All right. This is summertime. We're going to be doing lots of eating and barbecuing and uh, this is the definition of barbecuing, according to one man. Number one, the woman goes to the store. The man was barbecuing. Number two, the woman fixes the salad and vegetables and dessert. Number three, the woman prepares the meat for the cooking, places it on a tray along with the necessary cooking utensils, takes it to the man who is lounging beside the grill. Number four, the man places the meat on the grill. Number five, the woman goes inside to set the table and check the vegetables. Number six, the woman comes out to tell the man, the meat is burning, honey. Number seven, the man takes the meat off the grill and hands it to the woman. Number eight, the woman prepares the plates and brings them to the table. Number nine, after eating, the woman clears the table and does the dishes. Number 10, everybody praises the man and thanks him for his cooking efforts. The man then asks the woman how she enjoyed her night off. And upon seeing her annoyed reaction, concludes, there's just no pleasing some women. <laughs> yes, sometimes men and women just think differently, but I'm telling you one thing, God knows what every man thinks, and he knows what every woman thinks. He knows what we're thinking. I want you to look at number, verse number one of chapter 139 there, the Psalms. Notice what it says, thou hast known me. Now, sometimes people read it, thou hast known all, and it would be accurate because God is omniscient, but that's not what the verse says. God has known me. He knows me. You don't even know me, sometimes people say. You don't even know what I'm like. God does. He knows me. And so this morning, I'm going to borrow three points from the late Dr. Adrian Rogers, a wonderful Baptist pastor, and then expand on it a bit. Number one, three areas of God's omnipotence. There is not a movement, but what he sees it. There is not one movement, but that 
God sees it. Look at verse 2. Thou knows my downsitting. Every time I sit down, my uprising, every time I get up, thou compassed my path and my laying down and are acquainted with all my waves. Now, folks, there's not one move you or I make in any day, not even where I sit down, where God isn't watching me all the time. You might find yourself driving somewhere and you're in your car alone. And at that moment, pretty much nobody knows where you are, except for Siri. <laughs> she knows where you are. But God knows exactly where you are. And the thing about God, he never loses connection. I've gone east here before, and I'm driving somewhere, and all of a sudden, wait, wait a second, where am I going? But I'll tell you one thing, folks, God never loses our signal. He knows where we're driving, where we're sitting, God knows everything about us. He not only sees, but he knows exactly, intimately, what we have in our heart. Every thought, even what we dream of. When we go to bed, God's very aware of our dreams. Now, I don't understand dreams. Some people seem to always remember their dreams. I never seem to remember my dreams. In fact, when I'm dreaming, they seem as real as anything, and yet I wake up and I never, ever remember them. However, the other night I dreamed, I put on a mask, I went into a bank, and I asked for money. Oh, wait a second, that wasn't a dream, but anyway, um, that's what we do now. But the fact is, as dreams, we wonder, we say, oh, you know, what's going on? But you know what? God even knows our dreams. There is not a movement, but what he sees it. Number two, there's not a motive, but what he knows it. Look at verse two. Thou understands my thoughts. You understand my thoughts. God, because of his omniscience, knows every reasoning behind everything we do. Now, sometimes we might doubt someone's uh, actions, wondering what they're doing and why they're doing it. But every motivation and every reasoning behind every statement we make, the basis of all of our actions, God really knows why we're saying what we're saying. In Matthew chapter 12, our Lord Jesus had a dramatic encounter in a small mid-eastern village. This was a moment of what we would call today intervention. A man who had opened the door to Satan. We are not told how. Maybe he had stolen from his employer. Maybe he had uh, involved himself in an immoral affair. Whatever the case, how it presented himself itself was as a debilitating mental illness. Now, if you know the story at all, you know this guy was off of his rocker. He was running around the mountains, cutting on himself. That's why we recommend people don't do uh, all this excessive uh, um, tattooing and cutting and things, folks. That just doesn't seem uh, uh, a biblical thing at all. But this guy was off his rocker, cutting himself, jumping on people, screaming. He was honestly a nutcase. Well, then he got gloriously saved. I mean, unbelievable. It was the talk of the village. The whole area was talking about this guy who had this debilitating mental illness and their idea, but he was just a demonized guy. He got born again. He was a transformed person. The people were all standing around. They were all making their comments. The religious leaders, the media of the day, the everyday man on the street. Now, they might have shared a little bit, but for the most part, they were all just kind of thinking some things, like, well, that's not real. It just can't be. But notice what it says in verse number 25. So we're in Matthew 12, verse 25. It says, he knew all of their thoughts. They were all had these comments, but none of them said it. But he knew what they were thinking. Now, you might think you know what someone's thinking, or I might think I know what someone's thinking. We don't always, for sure. But Jesus did. He knew their thoughts, 
And he would convict them for that. Now, folks, there's not a courtroom in the world that would convict somebody if a witness stood up in front of the judge and said, this man was thinking this. Well, wait a second. We can't convict a person on what he was thinking, but God can because God knows exactly what we're thinking. Our thoughts, unobserved by others, are known down to the T by Jesus Christ. I read recently that some trucking companies are using inward-facing infrared cameras. They're pointing at the driver's eyes. The video data that is collected is run through highly worked over logarithms, looking for telltale signs of sleepiness, distraction. Basically, if someone looks away for more than five seconds, then the system uh, sends an alarm to that person. Maybe a little buzz or other thing, maybe they'll get a phone call from the office. Folks, imagine if the Holy Spirit were to do exactly that. Every time our eye looked over at something, fellas, that we shouldn't have for more than a few seconds, what if we got a little buzz? The Holy Spirit said, uh-uh. Well, folks, I'm going to tell you what. We do actually have an inward-facing camera on all of us. But it's not on just our eyes. It's on our hands, our feet. In fact, it is even on our heart and inside of our mind. God says he knows every moment and he knows all of our movements. And then number three, God knows every murmur. Look at verse four. There is not a word in my tongue. Every murmur, back to verse three, thou compassed. The word there is sift. The word there is to like taking grain and shaking it and shaking away the, the actual grain kernels and the chaff. My path and my lying down, you know all together. Folks, God knows all of our words. He shakes it all together. Now, you know, you ask somebody, how are you? <coughs> fine. Now their words say fine. Their tone says, I'm not fine. Their face says, not really doing very well. Fine. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Fine. Oh, okay. Same word, just different sense. God knows if I'm fine or if I'm not fine. That's what God says. He winnows it. He, he sifts it all. He sifts our mind, our heart, our words, our feelings, our motives, our murmurs. He puts it all together, shakes it up and says, oh, this is a problem or this is good. Now, folks, we can hide from others, but we can't hide from God. I remember when some of our children were young, in, inevitably, they would come up to dad and they would, uh, you know, maybe have something behind their back. And I would say, Luke, what you got behind your back? Nothing. Son, I told you to put that uh, toy up. I did. And he's holding it and it's hanging out like that, you know. So, uh, what am I seeing there, son? <laughs> well, now that's how we are with God. I mean, it's so obvious. <laughs> it's so obvious. And the same thing is true. Folks, our sin, our motives, our ideas are so obvious to God that we, but we think we're hiding, you know. And it's hilarious. We sneak around, you know. We sneak around. We do this on our little phones, you know. We sneak around, get on the internet, and around. We're so sneaky, you know. Folks, <laughs> we're not sneaking. God is seeing it all. Every little thing. He sees every word, every action. He reads our mind. He knows it all. Folks, you can't hide from God. That's why David said, look at verse 5. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid your hand on me. Now the word beset there is a similar word to the word besiege. The word picture suggested at first glance would be that this is a army that is set around somebody. The idea is that God is like an army and he's watching our every move. Actually, scholars say that's not the illusion here at all, but rather it is a medical term. God's hand is on me. He is beset me all around. The idea is that of a physician weighing all the evidence. 
including putting his hand on the forehead, taking the temperature, doing the blood pressure, getting the respiratory count, taking, make sure, you know, the heart is beating as it should. Um, all the different things that physicians do, you know, do a blood panel. They get all the evidence and then they say, here's your problems. That's the illusion here. David said, God, the great physician, is checking my temperature. He's doing my blood work. He's getting my respiratory rate. He's doing all the, all the work. And then he's going to tell me my diagnosis. God, folks, is doing a daily workup on you and I every day. I'm glad to know that our God does that. Now, we've looked at three important contrasts or three important areas, implications of this matter of omniscience. Now, what are the contrasts between God's science or omniscience and man's human science? Number one, God's knowledge is independent. Ours is dependent. Now, science is the, uh, the accumulating, the analyzing, the experimenting with facts. In fact, there is a thing called scientific method. It requires collecting thoughts, um, analyzing them, weighing them, etc. It's called the scientific method. That's the way it's supposed to work. But really, uh, God has never had to be taught anything. God doesn't have the scientific method because he never needs to do experiments. God's got it all figured out. One time, Pauline and I went to the city, and went there to Chinatown, and took a nice little tour. And one of the places we went to was a, an Asian uh, pharmacy. And uh, we've been told for years, you know, that the Asian culture has had all these wonderful medicines and things they've done for all these years, and a little bit of herb of this, a little bit of herb of that. And so we were talking to the guy, and I said, I said, how do you figure out, how'd they figure out, well, what do these uh, medicines do for different people? He said, just experiment. I said, good night. Think of all the people that had to die for over 2,000 years in China for me to be able to eat that root right there, you know. Oh, that's not a good root for that. You'll die from that one. Thank you. I appreciate it for you. But folks, aren't you glad God doesn't have to experiment on us? Oh, that doesn't get you to heaven. Sorry about that. No, hallelujah, God's got it all figured out already. God doesn't need our information. In Exodus chapter 3, after God manifested himself to Israel's leader, Moses, through a strange burning bush. Have you ever thought about that? You're going to lead the greatest nation on earth, millions of people. You're going to go out and lead them, and God chooses a desert and a rock and a bush that's on fire. Wow, well, go leave it to God to do something so unique. And he just speaks to Moses. Moses obviously is wondering what in the world? How do I tell anybody that this is, man, this is crazy. And how do I know that this is right? God said, you don't have to know because I know. Notice what he said in verse 14, the famous statement. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. I don't need experiments to let you know that what I'm telling you is right. You go back there. You tell Pharaoh what's up. You tell the people what we need to do. I'm telling you this is right. Well, how do I know this is right? How do I know this is going to work out? Because I am that I am. I don't need scientific method. I am independent. I know everything. Now, the IRS wants to know our dependence. Our workplace is concerned if we have any dependencies. If you go to school, you might be able to have independent study. But I will tell you this morning, God has no dependencies. He, has, he, is, he does everything independently. He is not dependent on anyone. Three important contrasts between God's omniscience and human science. Number two, God's knowledge is infinite, ours partial. Now, God knows everything that can be known. 
We only know a fragment of what is known. The other day I was listening to Pandora, and a lot of times I listen to Southern Gospel, and, uh, usually on Sundays, and I'll, I'll be bumping it up, you know, and I'll be singing it. And a, a cute song came on and said, have it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? <laughs> has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Hey, I thought that was a pretty good statement. The fact is, nothing has ever occurred to God. Folks, God is never surprised. Now, we might be surprised, but God is never surprised. Look at Psalm 121. God doesn't take a nap. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. God never sleeps or certainly doesn't take a nap. Now, I once heard that a short nap can actually prevent old age, especially when you're driving. But anyway, um, God never takes a nap and God never sleeps. Folks, I'm glad that God's that way. Our God is never asleep at the wheel. Our God has perfect knowledge. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father in heaven. That's a, ascribing to him his omniscience. Since you're in heaven, you know everything. Since you're in the throne room, you must decree everything. In the book of Revelation, we're told that Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. The first and the last letter in the Greek alphabet. Meaning... God knows everything. Jesus is everything. Beginning to end, A to Z, you name it, God is all-knowing. He is not only infinite and us partial. He is not only independent and us dependent. Number three, and this is a big word, God's knowledge is inscrutable. Ours is transparent. Now, actually, the inscrutability of God is an attribute of God. We probably won't talk about that, but in theological circles, that is actually an actual uh, concept about God, that God is inscrutable. In meaning not, scrutable meaning scrutiny, meaning you can't scrutinize God. You can't search out God. You can't understand God. Now, folks, if you're honest, if I'm honest with myself, the fact is we will say that we have some blind spots. Now, others see them, perhaps. Sometimes they don't see them. And certainly, we're not aware of them. I remember the first time I became aware that I was actually going bald. I was in my 30s, and somebody had taken a family picture, maybe Thanksgiving, and they had taken it to the family table, and they had taken it from behind my back. And so afterwards, I looked at the picture, and I said, oh, it's nice to see all the family. I said, Who's the man sitting there? <laughs> and uh, I couldn't see my face, just saw it from the back, and there was this bald guy sitting at the table. And I thought, good night, that's me. And then I went to the mirror and realized I had a little poof up here, like a little bird or something, but it was gone. So I just went ahead and shaved it off, said, all right, there we go. Easy come, easy go, I guess. But you know what, folks, that was a blind spot. But I tell you one thing, God sees it all. Our gracious God knows even our innermost thoughts. That's why David reminded us in Psalm 19 and verse number 12, who can understand his errors? Nobody really even gets a full glimpse of their blind spots. Oh, God. And by the way, this shows what kind of godly man David was. David said, God, I'll confess my sins. There's a lot of them I know. But he said, there are some that I don't even know about. Because I am so human. I am so, I get so just uh, into my life and I just get, I know I'm not even aware. Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Cleanse me from secret faults. God, oh God, you know everything about us and thank God you do and you still love me. We, Pauline and I uh, got a little video screen for our house. We've never had a screen for years, really. And uh, what a little thing. And uh, finally got a big one. It's a high definition. It's not huge, but it's a good size one. High definition TV. So we were watching a little show. We like to watch little English uh, mysteries a lot. And so we were watching this show and I was looking at that thing going, 
I can see their moles on that face. Look at that. I mean, look at like a little bump on that guy's nose. I've never seen that in my life. And then all of a sudden, I started getting nervous. I started thinking, oh, Lord Jesus. Those people on the TV, they are looking at me. They're looking at my warts, and they're looking at everything. I started getting all great, wonderful. I, I was already having a tough time, and now I know they're all looking at that bump on my head or that head that looks like a bump. I don't know, but I'll tell you one thing, folks. God sees your life, and he sees my life in high definition. Get used to it. He sees his warts and all. The Bible's most prolific writer is Moses. You probably didn't know that, but Moses is the most overlooked writer of the Psalms. Psalms had at least seven different human writers. Let's go to Psalms chapter 90 and verse number 8. In Psalm 90 and verse number 8, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. God sees everything about us. It is said that one reason that Jewish men wear the traditional yarmulke on their heads is because it represents God's hand always on them. You're always supposed to remember that God is always watching everything you do. But God, I'm searchable. God is not. He's inscrutable. Remember Samson's father, Manoah? He got an earful once from an angel. The angel was like, what are you asking that question for? He was trying to wrap his head around this heavenly announcement. Judges chapter 13, verse 18. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why? Ask after my name, seeing it's secret. You're not going to understand God. First of all, if you're asking what my name is, you may be just kind of too curious. Second of all, even if I told you, you wouldn't understand it. Why? Because God is inscrutable. He can't be figured out. Now, I know our poor atheist acquaintances, supposedly so, have real trouble with things they just can't understand or they can't scientifically prove. Strange though, 99.9% .9 of them don't understand a lot of things, but they accept it. They don't understand how you can take a piece of paper, put it in a machine, send it over some waves, and it comes out on a machine half the world away. Do you understand that? No. Do you exactly understand how that works? No. Do you accept it? Yes. Folks, there's a lot of things in life that we don't understand, but we accept. The fact is, folks, God is inscrutable. Now, finally, this morning, two effects of comprehending God's omniscience. God's omniscience ought to be a caution to all unbelievers. It's the basis of his judgment. Now, folks, that's not good news if you're an unbeliever because you can't hide anything from God. David shook his head in disbelief about lost people. Look at Psalm 10 and verse 11. Lost people say in their heart, unbelievers, God has forgotten. He hides his face and he will never see it. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, wrong. Folks, you can hide illicit relationships, maybe from your spouse. You might hide it from your parents, maybe for a time. But you think you're hiding it from God? You can hide alcohol or other drug problems from people around you, but you think you can hide it from God? You can hide theft at your workplace, maybe from the boss, but folks, you can't hide it from God. And you dead sure won't hide it on judgment day. If you think I can play the I'm a good person game, you're very, very wrong. You remember our wonderful Savior, beautiful, kind, loving, gentle, good shepherd, savior on the Sermon on the Mount. Many people, when they think of Jesus, have a good feeling, and they ought to. He's so kind and so loving. But sometimes over, people overlook our savior ripping the masks off of people. And he did so when he said, you hypocrites. Tell one thing, Jesus is a whole lot more rough than I've ever been. Looking at a group of people and say, you bunch of hypocrites. The actual word there means actors. You just, you're playing games. You're, you're acting. This is not real. 
You think somehow that you can say this, do this, do this, say this, and somehow you're going to stand before God and you're going to trick God? Solomon said it almost 3,000 years ago. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 14. The very last verse in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, who'd been there, done that. You name it, he'd seen it all. God will bring every work into judgment. Every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And if you think you can mess around with God, folks, I promise you, you are in for a big, big surprise. Look what it says in Romans chapter 2. Paul cautioned about as clear as it can be. We are sure of one thing. That the judgment of God is according to truth. The judgment of God is according to truth. Now there might be liberal judges in America. There might be conservative. There might be some that have some political ideology or some other thing going on in their mind. But I promise you, before God, there's no liberal or conservative. There's none of that. There is only truth and error. Saved, lost, believer, unbeliever. God says here, the judgment of God is according to truth. God is omniscient. Now, the postmodern mind does not like that. They do not like the idea that God is omniscient. In fact, that's just about the one attribute they hate the worst. That God is absolutely true. They don't like absolute truths. But folks, there are some things that are absolute. Truth is absolute. Two plus two is four. It never changes. God says here that there are things that are absolute. There is a second effect of comprehending God's omniscience. It is a God-given caution. Thank God for that caution. And he's a loving savior to give it to us, to the unbeliever. But thank the Lord, it is a comfort to believers. Moses and Israel was suffering terribly, financially, politically, physically, religiously, their families. It was awful. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 24. You might think, well, does God care? God heard their groaning. God heard their groaning and remembered. He's ever mindful, but wisely waited until a different time for his deliverance. He knows his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at verse 25. And God looked upon the children of Israel. God had respect unto them. God is not calloused. God has respect. He knows what we're going through. Sometime, I think last Sunday, I, maybe almost a half a dozen people told me this and this, this and this, this. And many of them were questioning. I wonder. I, I, I wonder about God. Well, it is hard to trace what he does. But you never have to wonder if he cares. You never have to worry if he knows. He knows. Amy Carmichael, 19th century Irish missionary to India, author, founded orphanages, made it her life's work to rescue precious little girls that had been forced into Hindu temple prostitution. She was very discouraged one day, and she just said, I don't know, I just, I just kind of wonder if God is there. And her friend said, I want you to go to Revelation chapter 2. And she pointed to her about the church of Smyrna in verse number 9. God told the Smyrna church, I know, I know, verse 9, I know, I know, I know the tribulation, I know your poverty, I know, I do know, I know the blasphemy of them that are coming against you, but verse 10, but fear not, I know, fear not, I know, fear not, she was so struck by those words. She had a plaque made with the words, fear not, I know. She put it up above her bed. And when she'd go to bed at night, she'd look up there and say, fear not, I know. She wrote these words with that in mind. I know the words contain unfathomable comfort for our pain. How they can hold such depths, I do not know. 
I only know it is so. Fear not, the words have power to give the thing they name. For in an hour, O Lord most dear, I thank thee, and I worship thou art here. One more verse and we'll be done here this morning. I love this passage. In Psalm 56 and verse number 8, Thou numbers my wanderings, no matter what I go through in life, thou put my tears into a bottle. What? You put my tears into a bottle? Now I think the allusion there, or what it's alluding to, is the fact that during times of grief, often when they'd have a loss, they would, uh, people would come and they would mourn with those that had lost somebody. In fact, it was such a cultural thing that they would actually even pay people to come and to mourn there. And in fact, they, those who would mourn and basically were professional mourners, would actually catch their tears and put them in a bottle. And then when they would go to uh, get their payment for being a mourner, the bigger the bottle of tears, of course, the more money they might get. Now, folks, the whole point that God is saying here is this. If you think your tears mean nothing, think again. Because I have collected every single one of your tears. And I have put them into my special bottle. These are Tim's tears. That time you wept over a soul. That time you wept over a child that was going awry. That time you wept over your own sin. All those times I put every tear into a bottle. And it's a language I understand. And when you couldn't say a word to me, I know what that tear meant. Folks, when you look back over the past of human history, 6,000 years, all the tears that all of us have shed, maybe that is what has filled the ocean. And that's why the ocean is so salty. Because God has collected the tears of mankind. I'm going to ask our worship team to come at this time. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning. Now I'm